it's really the combination of things that go into salsa that make it so good. It's not just the tomato, it's the basil that's in there or it's the, all the different stuff, whatever's in salsa, it's all that stuff together. And then it's a nice salty tortilla chip that dips in there and it's that combination of flavors that just makes chips and salsa so good. And, I, you know, God just started to kind of show something to me. And, you know, God works in funny ways to teach us a lesson. That it's, you know, when we talk about being better together, it's not always the same things always together. Sometimes it's the unique individual components of things meshed together that make the best outcome. So today I want to talk to you guys about how God sees relationships. For a brief second, I'm going to give you guys one nugget today. Everybody say one nugget. I'm going to give you one nugget today to walk home with before we do our promotion Sunday. And I just want you guys to get the grasp that relationships matter. Let's, talk, let's say that together. Relationships matter. Relationships are such a big deal to God. So I'm going to paint that picture for you today through Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, let's grab those out. I'll give you guys a second. We're going to turn to John 17. John 17, if you have the Bible app. You can use that or if you just have a really good memory, follow along. In a lot of your Bibles, you're going to see a heading that got put into the Bible after it was written, and it says, Jesus prays for all believers. So some context for this, this is Jesus teaching not only the disciples, but it's kind of this prophetic outward that it is for Christians. It is for us today. He was speaking multi-generationally, getting beyond just his immediate audience. And Jesus has this specific commandment for us. And Jesus, being part of God, clearly this was a big deal to him. It's a big part of his heartbeat. And so we're going to see what God has to say about relationship here. So let's read together. John 17, 20 through 23. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. That they would be what? That they would be one. Father, just as you and I are one, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. Verse 23, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. What kind of unity? Complete. complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me, and I've loved them ever since you have loved me. <laughs> Jesus just dropped the proverbial mic on these disciples. Jesus said, may you all be one as I and the Father are one, that they may see us through their unity, complete unity. Now, I want to make a pretty clear distinction here. He, just, he uses the word unity for a specific reason. The word unity and the word same are different. They're different words. He's not saying that they would all be the same. Because, man, that would be weird. If we were just a bunch of Christian clones in here, that would be a really odd room. No, he uses the word unity specifically because he wants every unique facet that each of you bring to come together to that complete unity to paint that picture of Jesus. I think of a mosaic. How many of you are familiar with that art form, a mosaic? It's like all the broken pieces put together. I love that picture of what a church looks like because my piece, the piece of Jesus that was hidden in me when Scripture says I was knit together in my mother's womb, that piece of Jesus hidden in me is going to be different than even my wife's that was hidden in her or anybody else in this room. You each carry a completely unique, as unique as your DNA, 
chunk of Jesus in you. And so I need to have you all in my life to get a more clear picture of Jesus. And through our unity, not our sameness, our unity, we as a church can portray a much clearer picture of Jesus. You guys with me on that? Awesome. Let's take a look at another passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 12, 12-14. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all these parts are from one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we are all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. I don't even need to teach anymore. Jesus said it for us. The metaphor is there. If I am a hand, we can't be a body of hands. We need more feet. We need knees. We need elbows. We need eyes and ears. We each make up a specific, unique part of the body to create one body. You know, I spent a lot of money on a Christian college education. My parents are here, and they paid for a lot of that, too. And, uh, you know, if I learned one thing about reading the Bible through this Bible college experience is that when the Bible repeats itself, you should pay attention. I spent a lot of money to get that one nugget. (laughs) But either way, hermeneutics taught me that if the Bible's going to repeat it over and over and over again, you should probably attune your ears to what it's saying. So if you, I don't know if you noticed, but every time, there's four or five times in this particular scripture uh, that the word one is used. Jesus is making it very clear. And this isn't even from Jesus himself. This is from uh, Paul who wrote 1 Corinthians, writing this letter to a church, saying that you all need to be one. So clearly, there is a need for relationship. God has made it very clear through his word. And he, the fact that we are gathering together in churches, that that was the mandate to Peter, the rock that, on which his church would be built. There was a reason that God put us together in these groups to bring us together to show that unity, and through that unity they would see God. It's very clear that relationship is necessary. If we were to really reflect on our salvation, it's all based on relationship. God took heaven and wrung it dry by sending Jesus here. He bankrupted heaven because he saw the distance relationship that happened all the way back in Genesis 1 at the separation of man from God when sin came into the world. When that relationship was severed and that wedge came into place, God immediately had to put a plan in place to get you back because your relationship with him is important. Now here's the thing. He's a gentleman about it. He's not going to force you in. He's going to lend his hand and offer that relationship. Now, that's where we come in and we have to say, yes, I'll take that hand and walk in that relationship. But God has fought tooth and nail. He's kicked down doors. He has fought. He fought hell. When Jesus died on that cross and he declared in Luke that it is finished. In Greek, it is telestai. He's on the cross and he says, it is finished. And he sinks into heaven and defeats hell to come and get you because your relationship is that worth it. Having you that close, is that worth it? I want you guys to sit and think about that. Heaven got rang dry to come and get you. Not just me, not just pastors or good people. He rang it dry for every single human who would draw breath into lungs. Every human whose heart would beat even one time. 
God rang heaven dry to come and get that person. So relationship is an incredibly big deal. Relationships matter. So let's t- now let's turn that on us. How can we reflect on that as followers of Jesus? So let's talk about it. Relationship, if we want to be like Christ, there's a lot of things we have to consider. One, he was perfect, so we're never going to get close. So once we get that off the table, we can start moving on to some real attainable things. Jesus made relationship a big deal. He picked 12 men and got really close to them. But even through that, he took some of the most scummy, nasty people and still fought to have relationship with them. Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, who was considered the lowest of low lives in community, Jesus said, you, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. Let me have dinner at your house. He brought even the lowest of low into relationship. So then let's reflect on that, how we can do that. One, No one is out of reach of our relationship. We need to stop and reflect on that. Because if I'm sure if you're a human being who's lived any bit of life, you know that relationships can get tense quick. Whether it's siblings, whether it's parents, whether it's friends, co-workers, employers, whatever it is, relationships can get tense quick. Now, we can go one of two ways. We can do the selfish, worldly desire and say, you know what? Enough with them. And cut that. Sever that relationship and be done. But the reality is Jesus hid a part of himself in that person that we're now cutting off. Relationship is never worth cutting off unless it's unhealthy to you. Obviously, you have to do what's best for you, but you need to really stop and reflect and see, is losing this person, is what I'm willing to cut this person off really that necessary? If we were to stop and reflect, because don't get me wrong, I, am, I have been there a time or two where emotions run high and you just throw out the ultimatum. I never see you again. And those hurt. Those are fighting words. Because it's not God's heart. Listen, if anybody had an excuse to say, fine, then forget you. Fine, then I'll leave you. That was God. He had first permission to do that because we messed up. I mean, really, if we had to reflect on all the sin, even just looking at my life, how many times I've sinned, God had more than enough permission to kick me to the curb. But he didn't. That's the thing. That's the goodness of this God we're worshiping and talking about is that he didn't. So if he's not going to do it, how much more so can then we take on that Christ-likeness to say, maybe I don't have to either. So I want us all to walk away from today thinking relationships matter. I'm sure if I was to give any of you even a minute to stop and think about relationships that have been completely cut off or that are completely distant or estranged, you could immediately think of someone that maybe for one reason or another, maybe they really hurt you. Maybe they really cut you deep. But really at the end of the day, that relationship would still matter to some degree because it mattered to God to come get us. It's in the heart of God to see relationships mended. Jesus was clear in the, in the, in the uh, parable of the prodigal son that he is not going to turn someone away that's willing to come back who smells like pigs, who spent all of his money, God was not going to say no. His arms were wide open.
So here's the challenge for us then. If relationships matter, because that's our main point today, if relationships are really going to matter, when that person comes knocking on our door, or when we go knocking on, our, on their door, what posture are we going to be in? Is it going to be our arms closed? No, explain yourself to me. No, ex- you have some explaining to do. Or is it an arms wide open saying, no, 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 I, Jesus showed me grace I didn't deserve, so I'm going to extend that to you. That's the heart of Christ, not the heart of man. And that's what we're all looking for. Am I right? All right. Let's check the time. How are we doing? All right, I want to give one, uh, one last scripture verse, because honestly, I could stand up here and talk all day, but it's really scripture that highlights the gravity of this topic and just how good God is. So let's turn to Ecclesiastes. 4, 9 through 11. Give you guys a second while I take a drink of water. All right. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 11. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not easily broken. I've never been in the military. I applaud the men and women who have. But if just understanding the basics of, uh, of warfare or battle, it, it tells me that you can't just send one guy in by themselves. They don't have the Navy SEAL. They have the Navy SEALs. It takes a team to accomplish a mission. Or if you're Matthew Stafford of the, uh, and, uh, the future Super Bowl champion, Detroit Lions. Yeah, exactly. Yes. You guys are more hyped for the Lions than the military. Come on. I'm, just, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Not to guilt you guys. No, so if Matthew Stafford's dropping back and he's trying to throw a pass but has no receivers out there or no linemen in front of him, He's going to get obliterated pretty quickly. It takes a team. It takes people around you to accomplish the goal. So if we were to reflect then on us as a church, our goal is to see people of no faith, of little faith, and make them believers of Jesus, to make them fully devoted followers. That's our job as CCC. Coming here, you, are, you signed up. You, you signed on to the mission of we are going to make fully devoted followers of Christ here through preaching, through small groups, whatever, all of the ministry we do, through kids, youth, young adult ministries, we are going to see people come to know Jesus through this place. But if it was just Pastor Tony doing it, he would be one exhausted, run-down guy because that's an impossible job to do. It takes a, a team. We have a staff. We have volunteers. I, I could honestly sit here and tell you guys for hours the testimonies and the just praise I need to be giving to my uh, kids ministry leadership teams because they are the ones that make the engine go. It's that team mentality. And trust me, we are not the same by any means. I am off the wall. I'm too much energy, not enough detail kind of guy. But I have a great team that comes up behind me and around me to fill in all of the gaps that I miss to make sure that our kids here are properly ministered to and are getting the word and protected and cared for. So it takes a team to make this happen. So let me challenge you guys. You guys are all here. You're part of the church. 
you commit a few hours of your week to being here as a part of this community. You don't do it to be a spectator. You don't do it to ride the pine and sit on the bench. You do it to get on the field and to make a play. Sorry, I'm doing too many sports analogies. You're doing it to be a part of the action, to be a part of the mission and vision of the church. So all of you who are in this room and who have committed to this community, it's on us to become this cord of three strands, to become a part of the team to see the mission accomplished. Because if we're just throwing out uh, people of one at a time, we're going to miss the mark and people are going to slip through the cracks. And if Jesus has taught us anything, it's that lives matter. It means that every single life has a value because even if there was one human on earth, God would have done the same exact thing to come and get you. Even with one human on earth. So I want to give you guys with that. So I'm going to leave you guys with two quick tips. One for the students who are graduating, high schoolers, all you guys, and then one to parents. Real quick, parents. King David and King Solomon were two very different kings. King David was a worshiper, an artist. He was a musician and led through that. He, uh, and the scripture says he served the purpose of his generation. He did his job. He did mess up. But he, at the end of the day, he did his job and he served the Lord. But he did it in a, his own way. He was a musician and an artist at heart. His son Solomon, not the same guy. He was a tactician. He was wise. He was systematic. He was very different. And his leadership was needed for that time. So, parents, I want to encourage you. Your kids will not be the same as you. But you guys can still be united. So I want to encourage you guys, where maybe mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, you were a hand in the body, your son or daughter might be the wrist, or they might be the elbow. Still very necessary, but they're going to serve the kingdom in maybe a potentially very different way than you ever did, and that's perfectly okay. So as you're sending your kids off to college, some of you parents, I want to encourage you to minister into that uniqueness about them, because they're going to serve the they're going to serve the kingdom in a way that's going to be profound and so cool to you when you see it come to fruition. To kids, if you're a graduate, raise your hand. If you're graduating, cool. There you are. To you guys, even Moses needed help. Moses was one of, he is in the Heaven Hall of Fame. He is one of the top dogs in scripture. But he, even he needed help. Even he couldn't even face Pharaoh by himself. He needed Aaron. He needed people around him. When war was raging, God told him, Moses, keep your arms up. As long as your arms stay up, Israel will win this war. His arms were getting exhausted. He couldn't win by himself. So what did Aaron do? Came up behind him and kept his arms in the air. Graduates, I'm telling you, you need someone in your corner. It may be mom, dad, but you're going to need friends. You're going to need people around you to keep your arms up when you are too exhausted to keep fighting. So relationships matter at every point in life, and especially through this trying time of young adulthood at college time. So keep that in mind. So at the end of the day, guys, relationships matter. Let's say that together. Relationships matter. They matter to God, and if they matter to God, then they need to matter to us. I want to challenge you guys to walk away from today thinking, relationships matter. How can I make them matter more in my life? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for today. God, we are so incredibly thankful for what you are doing in this body, in this church. God, you are moving in such profound ways. It's clear. 
God, from the youngest children in our nursery all the way to the oldest people in the church, God, you are moving with fire and fervor to see the kingdom come. So God, I pray today as we bless and promote these kids, God, that you would anoint them with a new uh, anointing, a new blessing to see them become the next generation of leaders of the church. God, I pray for our graduates and our college graduates, God, that you would send them into the darkest places of the world to bring light in Jesus' name. God, I pray that you would uh, continue to move and minister in whatever way you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.